got a new series that we're starting. It's uh, called New and Improved. It was born uh, as I walked through uh, groceries aisles and I saw on almost every product that there's something new and improved on everything that we uh, buy in our stores, right? It's, uh, uh, you know, three more ounces for free, which I'm a total sucker for. Is anybody buying the, th- you know, if, you, if, if my deodorant comes with three extra ounces for free, I'm buying all of them because I want as many ounces for free as I can get. But it, it made me think of this life that we're meant to live in Christ. It's a new life. It's a new and improved life. And I wonder sometimes if we as Christians, uh, we understand that or we even attain that. We, we, we come to this, this place in life where we're, we're living as Christ had hoped us to live, where we're experiencing this full-on surrender and this new and improved life that he has for us. Uh, I was grateful to be able to take some time off. I appreciate Tom and Jerry. Did anybody notice that Tom and Jerry spoke for us this past week? Yeah, that was a cartoon thing for me. But I uh, uh, appreciate Tom and Jerry just doing a great job. Everybody who speaks up here, I'm so grateful for them. But while I was gone, I, I, I took a trip, if you want to know, uh, to the Northeast. I, I went to my Mecca. It's not a Muslim thing. It's a baseball thing. I went to Fenway uh, and hung out there. Uh, I, yeah, sorry. And... Uh, uh, I got to hang out at a camp that I grew up going to in eastern Canada, New Brunswick, Canada. I spoke at this camp, uh, as I have for the last uh, three years now, and uh, spent some time with my beautiful uh, wife, Eleanor, on the coast of Maine, uh, and then dropped her off at the airport, and this past weekend, not this weekend, but the weekend before, I went to my 30th high school uh, reunion up in Caribou, Maine, uh, go all, all the way to the end of Route 1, pretty much, and that's where I lived, and uh, uh, it was, has anybody been to one of those? Anybody been to a high school reunion? 10, 20, 30, okay. A um, little weird, right? Hadn't seen these people. Most of them I hadn't seen them for 20 years. Lots of them I hadn't seen for the whole 30. And here, here's some of my uh, uh, deductions. We're different. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of people who haven't changed a bit, you know. Uh, they're the same size, uh, the, the same, you know, uh, physically. But most of us are larger, uh, we're, we're larger versions of ourselves. We're older versions of ourselves. Gray hairs uh, have come in, and um, uh, we've, we've been through a lot of life, uh, marriage and children and, and sometimes grandchildren. There's just all these things that have happened. Careers have come and gone and, and lots of things to catch up on. But here's what I noticed uh, as, as time kind of went on, as some of the, the weirdness uh, you know, kind of went away. These people are the same people they were when we were 18. Some of them more sophisticated, some of them with bigger bank accounts, some of them surprisingly bigger. I was, I was like, way to go, bro. I had no idea you'd be able to get a job when you got out of high school. But, uh, <clears throat> but if you hang out with someone long enough, there's, there's these fundamental things that are in all of us that just kind of stay. Like, uh, it was weird for a while, and then one of my friends quoted a line from a movie that we saw as high schoolers, and all of a sudden that just unleashed this whole line of joking, and, and uh, we were ribbing each other and having a great time. Uh, stayed up late both nights, just reminiscing and talking and finding out about who we are, but reveling in the fact that, well, it's like this song by a guy named Donnie Iris that I grew up in high school listening to. It was very nostalgic this past weekend. He, he, he sang this song. He says, and it's a, it's a well-known axiom, the more things change, what? The more they stay the same. It's true. Some things just don't change. And in, in some ways, it's great. Isn't it great to you know, have a friend for 30 years and not really see him for all that time and then just pick up right where you left off? That's awesome. 
But some parts of that axiom are just devastating. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Unfortunately, that's true of the brokenness of our world. You know, 30 years has gone by, and the people who were screwed up in high school still screwed up now, some of them. Uh, My whole lifetime has gone by. We've made all these advances as a culture. You know, we've got phones in our pockets and uh, cars that drive for us, right? All these advances, but we're still just as jacked up as we've ever been as a human race. Isn't that true? And while I'm spending my time with... uh, my friends over uh, this, this reunion, uh, an idiot's driving a car into a protest in Charlottesville. I come home, and a few days later, another idiot takes a van through a busy tourist area in Barcelona. Friday night, some moron decides it's a good idea to shoot a couple cops in Kissimmee. Why? How do these things happen? Well, if you've been coming here long enough, you know exactly why these things happen. This world is rocked, bereft with sin. It's just, it's human nature to do evil things, to hate and to kill and to rise up in ways that harm others. It's just, it's just who we are. And, and listen, uh, I'm not here to be all bad news. Let me give you some good news. There's, in fact, this is the only good news that I really know of in, in the midst of these kinds of tragedies that continue to happen over and over again. The only good news in, the, in this broken world is the fact that we who are broken can be made new in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times I've added this to a sermon, but we're going to actually uh, take this verse that I quote often, and we're going to study the verses around it today. And this is a verse that Paul wrote to his friends in Corinth in chapter 5, verse 17 of his second letter to them. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, say it with me, a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And in this broken world, the only hope that I can really identify the only thing that I can really look to to be uh, our, our staying power, our, 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 our thing to look to is the fact that God still cares about us, cares enough to send his son to die for us, and when his son dies for us and we put our faith in him and what he's done for us on the cross, he makes us new. We are in Christ. That means we are bought by Christ. We are owned by Christ. We are empowered by Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. That in Christ phrase is huge, and Paul uses it all, all over his writings. But we are in Christ, and in Christ, he is, we have been made new creations. It's interesting that Paul chooses the word creation, uh, because here's, here's what happened. God created heavens and the earth. Uh, he created mankind. Mankind sinned, and mankind's sin marred all of creation. Not just mankind, but everything is broken as a result. But God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Christ's death and resurrection, he brought forth this new creation. It's going to culminate, Revelation tells us, in a new heaven and a new earth. Everything's going to get a redo. But you know what he started with? Us. He made you and me. If we are in Christ, he made us new creations. 
And as new creations, he tells us that the old has passed away. That's positional. We are no longer guilty of sin because Christ, in his uh, you know, work on the cross, has, has absolved us of our guilt, and he has taken the penalty for our sin. So positionally, we are, we are new creations. The old has passed away. That's, that same verb that's translated there, the old has passed away, can be translated the old is passing away. And that's what we call sanctification. That's where we find ourselves now. If we're Christians, we're in the process of becoming less like we were and more like Jesus. That's the mission of our lives, to let the old pass away, to grow into our Christ-likeness, to have new goals and new priorities and new passions, to be like Christ. That's what it means when Paul says the new has come. Jesus is in each of us, and we are meant to live life with him, for him, and have him live life through us in everything that we are. But the world still stinks. Stuff's still broken. Things still go wrong. Anybody get tired? Afraid? Anybody worry about what's going to happen next? Anybody question, this, this might be a harder hand raise, anybody question their faith in the midst of the things that are going on? I know lots of young people, I got one who's a, a son of mine, uh, who question hard. And uh, they determine uh, at, at different levels that, you know, this is what I've been taught, this isn't working. And they walk away. And you may feel those same temptations, those same... Um, loosenings of your moorings. How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we stay in this with Christ? How do we continue to become the new creations that he wants us to be? Well, we, we have to look to our motivations, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're going to spend this next five weeks talking about new things as they're discussed in the scriptures. Today we're going to talk about this new creation. Uh, next week we're going to talk about a new commandment to love one another. Uh, the next week we're going to talk about the fact that there's this new covenant with Christ. I'm going to talk to you uh, about what that means in our lives. The fourth week, we're going to talk about a new lump. You just got to come and hear about the new lump, all right? And then the last week, we're going to talk about some new wine and the changes that uh, we're excited about as a leadership and the things that uh, we sense some, uh, that God is leading us to in our future as a church. We're going to do that all in the fifth week of this series. But today, we want to talk about this, this new creation. We want to talk about our motivation in our new creation. What are the things that keep us going? Another way to ask that question is this. What motivates us to live a new and improved life? Because this life, you know, that we're, we've been given, we can kind of get worn down in it, right? That's why Paul writes to his friends in Rome, and if I can go back just a slide, he says this. He says, don't be conformed any longer to this world, because that can happen to us. We can get kind of stuck in the world we, we kind of, we get going in life and we hear all the bad news and we experience all the tough circumstances in our life and we put on the world gogs. I don't know if you can read that, but it says world, left to right anyway. We put on the world goggles and we just can't, we can't see Christ and we can't run to Christ and we can't become who Christ wants us to be because we're just so soaked up in, in, in whatever the circumstances are of our life or whatever the challenges are of our life or whatever um, the, the appetites are of our life uh, want to go towards. That's why Paul writes, well, don't do that. Don't be conformed. Take the goggles off. Don't be conformed to the world anymore, but be transformed. How? And he uses this word, 
the, it's the renewal of your mind. You've got to th- make things new again. You've been made new creations. You've got to keep renewing your new creation. Be transformed by the renewal of mind that by the testing you may discern what the will of God is. What motivates us? What enables us to be renewed? What, what gets us through the spiritual dips that you and I face? Well, there's two things. I'm just going to give you the whole sermon right now. Two things we're going to talk about. The first one is we're going to discuss and discover around this, this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, uh, I do what I do because I am motivated out of reverence to God. He says, the fear of the Lord is what leads me to persuade other people. Reverence. Then secondly, he's going to say just a few verses later that the love of Christ compels us. We're going to understand that that love and, and Paul's thankfulness for God's love and God's uh, acting on his behalf when he could do nothing for himself, those two things, his reverence and his gratitude, those are the things that keeps Paul in the game. Those are the things that will keep us going in this life with Christ. When everything else is shaking around us and we're kind of feeling in ourselves, an awe, a respect, a reverence, a fear, as Paul puts it, that'll keep us going. Uh, A gratitude, an appreciation, that'll keep us going. I've stood up here uh, many sermons and I've told you that this Christian life is not a got to, it's a get to. I have to amend my statement. Because it's both. It should be mostly a get-to. Everybody knows what I mean when I say that, right? Like, we are privileged to be called sons and daughters of Christ, uh, of God through Christ. And that we, we have this, this honor of living life with him. It's totally, it, it, as far as, you know, if it's a pie chart, it's like just everything except a thin sliver should be the get-to. I get to live this life for Christ. But I grew up in churches where that wasn't really the message. It was the got-to. Like, if you don't live for Christ, he's going to smush you like a grape, have a great week, right? That was kind of the tone of the messages I grew up hearing. And the modern church has kind of reacted against that, thankfully, and talked more about grace and mercy and love and all those great things. But we can be very, uh, well, we can slide all the way to the other end of that spectrum. And we can forget that there's a responsibility that comes with the covenant relationship that you and I have entered into with Christ. And think about it, you know, the things in your life that you do because you know it's your responsibility to do them as a husband or a wife, as a father or a mother, as a student at school. We don't always get to do what we want to do, but we do what we have to do. Why? Because it's our responsibility to do that. It's our obligation to meet the expectations of whatever office we hold in life. But then there's all these things that we get to do. You know what, let's just boil it down to this. I think uh, this whole analogy that, that God gives us of, of, of us being married to Christ, that he's the bridegroom and we're the bride, it's this great picture. This, this relationship with Christ that we have is, is like a marriage. And think about marriages. If you are married or if you haven't been married or if you've been married, whatever. Think about how they work. <laughs> there should be a, a fair amount of get-to in marriage. Like hopefully you wake up most days uh, to your spouse, and you're like, man, I am so blessed to be married to this person. I can't, like I tell people all the time, I, I totally outkick my coverage. There's absolutely no way I should have been able to sucker a girl like Eleanor into marrying me, right? <laughs> and I can't believe we get to do life together. After 25 years, it just keeps getting better. That's truly my heart. 
It's a get-to, but it's not that way all the time. Some days, she would tell you, being married to me is a got-to. And where does it stem from? She got all dressed up in a white dress and walked down to the front of a church with me, and before God and man, she made some promises. She entered into a covenant, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, sickness and health, when he's an idiot and when he's not. And on those days where I'm not at my best and I'm not doing my part in our relationship, uh, Eleanor thankfully stays. Why? Because she understands. She made a promise. It's a got to. And it's the same thing with us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, man, there's so much get to in that, isn't there? I mean, eternity and the Holy Spirit indwells us and he comes and he walks with us in life and he gives us peace and surpasses us. I mean, we could just, I could spend the whole morning talking about the get to's. But in the times where you're wondering about, should I keep following him? I want you to remember, this is a got-to. And it's the got-to's in life that get us through the tough circumstances. If we only ever did what we wanted to do, man, what a world we will live in. But thankfully, God has given us his spirit. He's given us uh, steadfastness. He's taught us to persevere and to stick with him. So when you think about the motivation for this new and improved life, this new creation that we've been made. Think about those two things. The first one is reverence to Christ, and the second one is gratitude for Christ. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. I'll show you where I got these ideas. 2 Corinthians 5 uh, basically starts with Paul talking a lot about heaven. I'm not going to read all those verses, but he talks a lot about how, you know, he actually calls his body a tent. Some of us have bigger tents, Okay. But he talks about the fact that my body's this tent and it's not going to last forever. And he's thankful. If you keep reading there in, in chapter 5, you can go ahead. You can look and check if I'm right. But uh, uh, you keep reading there in chapter 5. He says, I'm so grateful that i got a, I got another house waiting for me. Another dwelling is awaiting me. It's this, this place that I, I'm going to, a place called heaven. And then he starts riffing on things that he's riffed on in other places. Like in Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. He talks about, hey, man, whether I'm living here or I'm living in heaven, it's good on me. It's awesome, because Christ is in both places, and he's in me. But he says, you know what, I'd, I'd love to get to heaven. And, and just so you know, that, that's, that's a huge part of my faith. I'm ready to go. I mean, I, I love hanging out here. Uh, golf is fun. Uh, you guys are mostly nice, right? And so, <laughs> no, you're great. I mean, there's lots of great things here, but I'm ready to go. Paul was too. He says, man, get this tent out of here, and let's go back to where I'm going to go. He says this in chapter Five, verse nine, as he's kind of finishing, verse nine, uh, finishing up his ideas about heaven. He says, so whether we are at home here or away in heaven, you know, we make it our aim to please him. Wherever we are, our life's mission now is to please God. And then he says this, he says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, if you've studied the Bible at any time, maybe you've heard this, 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 this understanding in Scripture that, that we're going to face judgment at the end of this. That's what the Bible says. Every man, woman, child, from all of history uh, will be evaluated by God in, 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 in one of two judgments. Uh, the first one, not mentioned here, is called the white throne judgment. It's talked about in Revelation. It's this initial judgment that all of humanity goes through, and basically at that judgment, God's going to ask everybody, uh, hey, did you know me through faith in Jesus Christ, yes or no? 
It's not a very long judgment. It's like, did, did you bend the knee to me? Did you submit yourself to me? Did you surrender your life to me? And those who have surrendered their life to Christ and, and believed by faith that Jesus saves and it's him and him alone who saves, they will pass on to eternity with God and everybody else will pass on to eternity without him. White throne judgment. This isn't that judgment. This is called the Bama Seat judgment. Everybody say Bama Seat. If you were been around our church for a while, we actually did a, 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 a dramatic portrayal of the Bama Seat. Uh, we called it the Bama Seat. Anyway, um, but that's what this word here is. Judgment means Bama. Bama was this uh, word that was used in, in old Greek races, like the old Olympics. Uh, the judgment seat was this chair, this perch that someone would sit on right at the finish line. And as people were running past the finish line, uh, uh, they would determine first, second, third. They didn't have photo finishes back then like at the horse track. So they had to have someone who sat on the Bama seat, the judgment seat, and they were the determiners of the placement of the runners. Paul borrows that, and he says, okay, uh, so, so Jesus is going to have this judgment seat, this Bama seat. Uh, for all those who are in him, for all those who have trusted him, the Christians, they will come before him, and it says that he will judge them for what they have done in the body, whether it was good or evil. So the picture is this. We're going to uh, have this opportunity to stand before Christ, and he's going to play our film. It's going to go real fast. But he's going to hit the highlights, and he's going to show us the things uh, that honored him and the things that he could celebrate. He's going to give us crowns that eventually will cast at his feet because he was the the purveyor of our goodness. Uh, but then he's also going to show us, apparently, the evil, the things that we've messed up in. And even though shame and tears and all those kinds of things don't exist in heaven, there's going to be an accounting of what we have done before Christ. Paul says, so whether I'm a home or away, I, I seek to serve the Lord, because I know in the end I'm responsible for the things that I've done. And in verse 11, he gives this, therefore, he says, therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, I'm all about serving him. We, I go around trying to persuade everybody that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul says, listen, I know I'm responsible in this relationship that I've been called to in Christ to fear him, to honor him, to, to know that what I do matters, and that drives me in how I live my life. This word fear is the Greek word phobos. It's where we get phobia and all that other stuff. And sometimes preachers get up and they water it down. They say, well, it just means respect and awe. And, but but <laughs> it, it means to fear. It means to not worry that God's going to squash you like a grape, but to have it in the back of your mind that God could squash you like a grape. And to understand that what you choose matters. My son... Coop is an employee at a pool store that a buddy of mine named Don uh, runs. And uh, uh, early in Coop's career, he, he read the schedule wrong, and he, he was late for work one day. I think pretty late. Um, Don called me and asked me if I knew where he was, and I was like, no. Uh, uh, hope you find him. And I think I might have even said, please don't fire him. Anyway, uh, but he got to work, and, and uh, Don uh, very clearly uh, made it known to my son, this is unacceptable. And I know our, you know, I'm, I'm friends with your dad, but, but we're not going to do this again. And to my knowledge, in the last three years, that, that hasn't happened uh, too many times after that. Uh, because it was clear. Cooper understood. He got it. I have a responsibility. If I want to have the benefit of drawing a paycheck at this establishment, i got to show up on time. 
If I want to continue to work in this place, I can't just do whatever I want. I have to do what I've covenanted to do in this employer-employee relationship. And it's the same with us. When you and I said yes to Jesus, it wasn't just us saying yes to him and everything came our way. Absolutely, everything had to come from him because we were powerless to do anything for ourselves spiritually. Everybody agree with me on that? But it wasn't just us saying, yeah, Jesus, back up the truck, give me all the blessings, and I'll bring nothing to this equation. It was us saying, yeah, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. I give you my life. That's why it's called the exchanged life. Here's my nasty, sin-filled life. You give me Christ, and I'll determine in my heart that I'm going to live for him. This Christian life is a a blessed got-to. It's a life where we can live in this very healthy, when I say healthy, I mean health-promoting fear of the Lord. Paul talks about it in his first letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 9, verse 16, he says this. He says, for if if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. He says, listen, man, I'm not in this for me. I'm not in this for the shine. I don't want to get on the cover of Preacher Magazine. I'm not trying to you know, be this, this big, huge you know, hero of the church, which eventually he becomes. He says, I'm not doing it for me. He says, necessity is laid upon me. And he basically says, listen, I get this in two ways. I know that it's necessary for me to preach the gospel because unless you hear the gospel, you can't respond to the gospel, and lots of people are going to be lost having not heard the gospel. It is necessary for me to say the gospel to as many people as possible for their sakes. But he also implies here, it's a necessity for me to preach the gospel because that's what Jesus called me to do. See, he was on this road to a place called Damascus and he was gonna go kill him some Christians. He was there to persecute Christians and he meets Christ himself on this road and Christ says, hey, you're on our team now. And Paul went from persecuting the church of Christ to promoting and becoming the champion in the church for Christ to such an extent that he wrote most of our New Testaments. And what made him do that? Face-to-face encounter. Face-to-face accountability with Jesus himself. Jesus says, you're my man. Go and preach this gospel. So he says, yeah, I do it for your sake, but I do it for my sake. This is the commandment that God has given me. He says, and he, you know, it's how he finishes, he says, woe to me. Pain on me if I don't preach this gospel. Probably the place where the fear of the Lord is most uh, talked about or spoken of in Scripture is in Proverbs. And in Proverbs 1-7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, this accountability, this, this responsibility that we in Christ, just so we're all clear, um, it, it works out for our best. If we fear God and if we stick with God even when everything else is going around us, it's for our best. Us having this got-to mentality will lead to us understanding life as we're meant to understand it. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools, fools despise God's wisdom and despise God's instruction. I don't want to be a fool. I can think of tons of instances where me listening to someone who knows more than me has worked out to my betterment. Anybody think about those? I was uh, spelunking in caves in Wyoming with a youth group when I was a youth pastor many, many years ago. And uh, I'm never going to do that again, just so we're clear. Like, this body is not meant to go through some of the holes that are in the ground. 
And I don't know if you've ever been in caves, but you know, there's the big wide open, you know, usually the mouth of the cave is this big huge cavernous thing, but if you want to kind of traverse between caves, you gotta, you gotta get on your belly. Sometimes you gotta, you know, knee, you're, you know, go on your knees through water. I mean, it's just, the rocks only allow so much passage. And it's dark. I mean, there's dark, and then there's like cave dark. And they give you little lights and stuff like that, but that's not enough. So here I am, I'm the leader, and I'm losing my stuff. I'm freaking out in these holes in the ground. I'm claustrophobic. It's, it's tighter than I've ever been. I'm not enjoying this. I'm having to lead about 25, 30 high school students through this thing, and they're completely losing it. They don't have the sophistication of 25 years of life. They're just like, I want to go home, mommy! You know, they're just losing it. And you can't, listen, once you start down that hole, you're not coming back. There's 30 people that have to move for you to get back through that hole. You're going that way, partner. And so all of this belly aching and fear was going on. And at the front of this group is the guide, whose job is to know where these caves are and how, to, how they work and where out is. And he's trying his best to encourage these kids that are between me and him. He's trying his best to make sure, no, just 15 more feet. By the way, it was never just 15 more feet. <laughs> but he's trying to get them through the cave. And finally, all these kids are freaking out, and in my you know, best youth pastor you know, bark voice, I said, that's it! No one else talks except Carl. I don't know if that was his name. <laughs> Everybody listen to Carl, and we're getting out of here. This is no longer fun. We're just trying to survive. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't want to hear anybody else's voice except Carl at the front. And for whatever reason, they're like, okay. And Carl slithered us through all those caves. When we got to the end, it was this beautiful, huge stalactite, stalagmite, whatever. It was awesome. And then there was outside. It was great. But we, listen, we would still be in those caves <laughs> if it wasn't for Carl. And if you understand this about your life, this, this, what motivates us to the new improved life? It's the God to. I have to fear the Lord. I have to respect God and his word because God is the only one who will get me through this life and into the things that he has prepared for me. The second thing that Paul talks about in this text is that he's not just compelled by his got to, he's compelled by his get to, his gratitude uh, for Christ and what Christ has done. Look at it, it's going to skip down a few verses to verse 14, and it says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. Just start at the beginning. For the love of Christ controls us. It's actually, in other translations, compels us. It like pushes us forward. In, in the actual Greek, it means he's hemmed us in. He's like sewn a patch around us and we are stuck to him. And his love is what pushes us forward. Paul, being grateful for what Christ has done for him on the cross, says, hey man, if Jesus would do that for me, I'll do anything for him. He goes on to explain it in terms of death. He says, because we have concluded this, that one has died, Christ has died for all, without uh, you know, condition, no matter how messed up you were. Jesus put your sins and my sins on himself on that cross, and he died for you and for me. He died for everybody. Not everybody's gonna receive him, but he died so that everybody could. And Paul says the only reasonable response that we can have, that I can have, since one, Christ has died for all, 
is that I and all y'all who are following him should die as well. He says in Galatians, a verse I quote often, we are crucified with Christ. We are meant to die because Christ died for us. We are meant to die to ourselves and to have him as our all in all. Here am I, all of me. Take my life. It's all for thee. He goes on and he says, verse 15, he, Christ, died for all, that those who, uh, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This life that we live, we live for Christ. It's a get-to because he's died for us. We die to ourselves and we seek to serve him. And in this gratitude, you know what gratitude? This kind of gratitude, it gives us new eyes in life. Look what he says next in verse 16. It gives us new eyes in life. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't look at people the same way that we used to. If we're in Christ, we're new creations. And he's given us new eyes, and we look at people differently. We don't look at them as like, you idiot. You're hopeless. No, we look at them with the eyes that Christ looked at us when we were hopeless. And we say, ah, oh, if God can use me in your life, I want to be an agent of change for you. I want to be someone, uh, as everybody else is running from you, I run to you. And I make a difference in your life. He goes on, he says, it's not just new eyes for people. Uh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I, I look at Jesus differently. And this is so huge, because when everything else is falling around you and the world's going to you know, uh, bad places in a handbasket. Um, <laughs> that's stupid. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you need to remember that Jesus is on our side. Jesus is for us and not against us. Where the rest of the world looks at all the, heart and, or all the harm and all the bad stuff and says, well, if God could do something about this, he should do something about this. It's God's fault, blah, 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 blah. We look at God and we say, no, God, we understand. Well, we don't understand, but we understand even though we don't understand that you are in control. That you're good. That you're somehow going to work this together for our benefit. He gives us new eyes, and then he gives us new mission, and that's how Paul finishes up here. He says, uh, he gives us this new mission in life. Uh, oh, I forgot a verse. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, heard this one before? He's a new creation, and the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But the gratitude that, that he gives us, he gives us this new mission in life. It says, uh, at this, uh, in verse 18, at this, at all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse uh, 19, uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what Jesus came to do. Not counting our, our trespasses against us and entrusting us as, as he saved us, he's entrusted us with this message of reconciliation. Therefore, he says in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ and God makes us his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God and be employed in his mission to reconcile others to himself. Yeah, what, what motivates us to be the new creations that God has made us to be? What motivates us to, to live this new and improved life? It's the got to. It's responsibility. It's respect. It's knowing that we've made a covenant with God. And on those hard days when we don't understand what's going on and we can't see the end of this problem or this issue or the circumstance, we know that God is here, and we know that we have promised to trust him through whatever we face. 
But it's not just that. It's not just this obligation. It's this get-to. It's this life of awe. Remember it said that about the early church in Acts chapter 2? They, they, they just were, they were in awe, constantly in awe. They understood just how amazing the grace of God is. And they lived to say thank you to him. Oh, may those be the things that push us this coming year to follow Christ. May we understand that it's our responsibility uh, in our covenant with him to grow in our relationships with him, to serve as he's commanded us to serve. These aren't things, you know, so often I think we, I get up in church and other preachers get up in church and, and we make suggestions. Hey, wouldn't it be great if you really grew up in your faith this year? Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if you understood how God created you to serve and you got to serve in those things? Hey, wouldn't it be neat if you moved the ball forward in your relationship with Christ? And you and I, as we sit in those sermons, we could be like, yeah, that would be cool. And then we just walk out and nothing changes. Well, I'm here to tell you, you should grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You must serve God in the ways that he's created you to serve. It is your privilege to move the ball forward in your relationship with Christ. And you should take it seriously. It's your responsibility and your covenant with him to do so. I want us to preach legalism or have you know, this burden put on us, but I want us to understand this is a got to. And that's what will keep us going in this life with him. In the same way, it's a get to. You get to be discipled if you've never been discipled before. You get to be a discipler of people if you've never had the opportunity to do that. You can sign up to do both at baylife.org backslash discipleship. You can be in a life group. It's a get to. You can uh, be blessed by those who are there and growing in in your midst. You You can be a contributor to those who are in your life group. And so you should be a part of a life group this coming semester. You can make a difference in someone's life who doesn't know Jesus by bringing them to Alpha. These are all get to's. And I pray that we see ourselves as being blessed and privileged to honor God in those ways. What happens in a church if people understand the got to and the get to? What happens in a follower of Jesus Christ like you and me where we get past all of the questions and all the stuff and we just say, okay, this is what I signed up for. I'm in. I'm doing this. And this is such a blessing for me to be able to honor God in these ways. What happens in a church when that happens? I'd love to find out. May God lead us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word. Thanks for making us new. Those of us who know you in here, thanks for making us new. There's probably some who don't know you yet, and and Lord, you want so badly. It says in in these verses that we studied today that Christ came and he died for all. He died for everybody uh, who, who, who knows you already and has yet to find you in life, and, and so if there's people here who don't know you yet, God, I pray that today is a day where they understand this amazing gospel that you've given us, this good news, uh, that we can have a new and improved life, become new creations through Christ. But for those of us who have chosen that, would you propel us, God, into our futures with you as, as the world continues to just be the mess that it is? Would you embolden us and encourage us, uh, make us strong in our convictions and in the got-tos of this life, and then, Lord, Remind us of the amazing grace that it is to know you and follow you and help us to remember the get-tos of this relationship that we have in you. Uh, We just want to be the best church we can for you, God, for your glory, for your name's sake, I pray these things. Amen? It's great to see you guys. Have a blessed week. We'll talk to you next week as we continue new and improved.